the influence of anime on the fight choreography was excellent. And if you grew up watching anime, like even something like Dragon Ball Z, you definitely recognize some shots, some punches, specifically the Goku gut punch, which is actually in multiple things, as well as the double cross counter punch where they punch each other at the same time. That's when Goku and Vegeta fight. Also, that's from uh, Naruto versus Suzuki and even Neo versus Agent Smith in Matrix Revolutions. Creed 3 is an absolute knockout. Let's break it down in today's episode. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. I really enjoyed Creed 3. It might be my favorite of the trilogy in, in a pantheon of great boxing films this century. It might be top 10, top 5, definitely in that conversation. There have all obviously been a lot of good great ones. ones. Yeah. We, I mean, we had Million Dollar Baby, The Fighter Kid. <laughs> I'm from Lowell. I'm The Fighter. All sorts of great boxing movies this century. Southpaw, Cinderella. Yeah, Man. So, yeah, so it's a yeah. great movie, but I think Creed 3 was really exceptional. Like I was blown away when I saw this movie. Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, really, really impressive. The third film about Adonis Creed, the son of Apollo Creed. This is the ninth movie in the in the Rocky tr- franchise. Nineteenth, the, the, the thirty-sixth <laughs> movie in the Rocky, the Rocky verse. <laughs> now, next ones will be Rocky in the Afterlife. Quick background <laughs> of Creed Three: Adonis has been thriving in both his career and family life, but when a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy resurfaces, the face-off is more than just a fight. Obviously directed by Michael B. Jordan, his first feature-length film, written by Ryan Coogler, Keenan Coogler, and Zach Balin, starring Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Creed, Tessa Thompson as Bianca Creed, Jonathan Majors as Damian Anderson, a.k.a. Diamond Dame. Then we have also Tony Little Duke Burton, played by Wood Harris, Mila Davis-Kent playing Amara Creed, their daughter, Felicia Rashad reclaiming her role as Marianne Creed, Salinas Leva playing Laura Chavez, and then we have some great uh, young actor performances from Thaddeus Mixon as Young Adonis Creed, as well as Spence Moore the second as Damian Anderson. Victor Drago is back, played by Florian Montano, and then Pretty Ricky Conlon is back, played by Tony Bello. And this follows basically Adonis Creed post-retirement from his boxing career, now being kind of like a fight promoter. He's got this fighter named Felix. He's the world champion, but an old friend just recently got out of jail. He hasn't seen in a long time, and he wants his shot at the title. This movie has great resonant character and thematic elements that really connect great tissue between the the storyline as well as the past and trauma of these characters, specifically with Dame and Adonis. I love how, you know, Dame throughout this movie, Jonathan Majors is a star, by the way. He's so good in this film, but he's kind of he's he understands that this is my only shot. I'm out of jail. I'm old, but this is my one shot to be champ. If Rocky was picked by Apollo Creed, Adonis's father, this random nobody fighter to fight for the world championship, why can't Adonis pick me, my old brother? I like how they tied it to that first film in the shot to the nobody underdog and how they this is the first film in the franchise to make that connection to the first original Rocky, which I really enjoyed. It was also really well received critically. It has a 96% Rotten Tomato score for audience score, 87% Rotten Tomato score for the critics, 7.4 on IMDb, and it made $58 million in its opening weekend. So it was a massive success and had great word of mouth. It's over 110 right now. Yeah, for good reason because it hit all the beats you want in a boxing film. 
and in uh, the Creed Rocky franchise film. It had entertaining moments, excellent fights, comedy, a lot of heart. I think one of the things that people underestimate about maybe the early Rocky films is a lot of heart in them, and it's very emotional, and the connection between especially Adrian and Rocky in those early films. Hey, Adrian! <laughs> Adrian, watch, like me. So, what's the matter? I got the turtles. I got the turtles. I came in last week, Andrew. The turtle food is different than last week's turtle food. <laughs> but that's one of the main emotional beats of the, the early parts of the franchise and why those early films are really so special. And so, Michael B. Jordan really tapped into that. And also following in Stallone's footsteps of taking over the helm. Uh, Ryan Coogler obviously made the first film after Fruitvale Station. They passed it on to another director for the second film. And then I, I like how Michael B. was like, I'm going to take the reins of the franchise. I'm going to oversee this. It's my, my name. It's my thing. He's the pro, he's a producer. He's the face of the, of the film. Why not be in control of it? Clearly, the, clearly, they're setting up more films to come with Creed's daughter. So we're definitely going to get uh, a huge Creed filmography over the Creed next couple verse. of Yeah, Creedverse. <laughs> the Creedverse. At least not, we already got the origins out of the way, the first <laughs> film. So that's fine. But I'm very excited to see what he does next, and I was very impressed with Mike, what Michael B. Jordan did as a director in this. The second Creed movie was directed by Stephen Capel Jr. It's really cool to see how this trilogy is made, directed by three different filmmakers, and it might and probably is the best film trilogy for sports of all time. So when you think about sports trilogies, there aren't very many. I made a list of everyone that I could think of. We have obviously Creed. Rocky at one point was a fran- was a trilogy, but now there's there's six Rockies, so it doesn't really count anymore. So another trilogy. We have Karate Kid. Daniel's trilogy is just three movies. Mr. Miyagi is in the fourth film. Then it was rebooted with the fifth film. So technically, the first three Karate Kids, it's its own trilogy. So I would say that's a sports trilogy. I didn't even know. I can't remember the, the third one. Me neither. Yeah, Karate Kid 3. What even happens? Uh, stuff. <laughs> and then iconic trilogy for sports, the Mighty Duck trilogy. Quack. Quack, Mighty Ducks, quack, D2, quack, and then quack, D3. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> and then Major League is another ah. sports trilogy. That's pretty much all I could find for just condensed trilogies for sports films that are continued stories. Let me know if I missed any or left any up. But other great boxing movies this century, uh, or I mean just uh, great boxing movies in general that I think this is competing with. Raging Bull is probably the best of all time. Rocky's number two for me. Then movies like Million Dollar Baby was this century. The Fighter this century. Cinderella Man. Very the, good one. The Hurricane starring Denzel Washington. Not a lot of people have known about that movie or seen it. It's really terrific. Ali. And just uh, a great fighting movie with Warrior starring Tom yeah. Hardy and Joel Edgerton. Southpaw really was terrific. good. Yeah. And I like this movie because... It felt like Southpaw in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. it really grounded the landscape and the fighters and the characters and to feel like it's the real world, the contemporary world we're living in. I think they did a great job with showing like a boxer who's been retired now promoting fights like a lot of boxers do once they retire. You know, they're trying to keep like an entertainment business going on and making fight contracts and deals. And, you know, he's Adonis is kind of managing fighters and Felix is his champion and he's going up against fighters and he's trying to promote his career and keep him going so he's in the business still he's taking a step back he's you know spending more time with his family obviously then we have you know that great little fake documentary like pre-fight documentary yeah, that was great that before, was great before both yeah. fights between before the felix versus dame fights it was really cool it felt like it was like an hbo program mm-hmm. leading up to like, what was it? it was showtime yeah, yeah or showtime. showtime yeah and then also having a great cameo from 
Canelo Alvarez, the great boxer from Mexico. It was really cool to see him just, just like, for that photo. the red carpet with Adonis and then Adonis like driving through Los Angeles and seeing billboards of it's obviously Michael B. Jordan in like Calvin Klein underwear or in a suit. <laughs> but like it's it's just interesting to see the perspective of of like a very meta take on a very famous actor who has billboards and suits to see him play a character that has billboards and suits and like kind of what that perspective is like. It kind of, it reminded me of Rocky too when he started doing all the promotional stuff and you got to see that business side of being a boxer. Except he couldn't read. <laughs> <laughs> he can't, he can't, we can't read good. <laughs> I can't read good. <laughs> but uh, Michael B. Jordan and Coogler with the direction of the story, I thought it was really smart. And bringing a person back from their past sometimes is doesn't work, and sometimes it can be like a trope. A trope, yeah. But they pulled it off really well with this. I think Jonathan Majors is uh, definitely the breakout star of the year. I liked him in Ant Man, but like it, that was just not well written, and that film was just obviously lacking. But with this, you have a great character in Damien, and what's most important is you have someone who's who basically takes everything away from your protagonist strips him down, and challenges him in a way that he's never been challenged before because the the problem with making franchise boxing films, it's like the same thing. New boxer is a bad guy. We can have a fight. They'll beat me. Then I'm going to fight them again, and I'll win at the end. Like it's, it's hard to make it feel fresh and make it feel exciting. But Jordan did an excellent job with the fight choreography, with the filmmaking. He used... So much IMAX footage, which looked fantastic. First fil- first sports film ever shot with IMAX cameras. Yeah, it was the majority of it was IMAX, and it was really great photography because they were throwing the camera right over the shoulder of the boxers and not cutting that much. There was a lot of not just like long takes, but takes that were like six to ten seconds that you're seeing a bunch of combinations thrown in without any cuts. And obviously, Majors and Jordan and the other uh, boxers and actors did so much prep work, and it really paid off. But I was looking at behind-the-scenes photo- photos, and they were using like really tiny camera rigs and just really throwing the cameras right into the mix of the action. And I really like how he included these really su- super-close macro slow-motion images. So it was like macro photography right up, which is like super-up-close photography that's in focus, which ha- you have to use certain a macro lens for it. But it was also in super-slow-mo. And you could see the shockwaves of, of impact whenever someone got hit, whether it be in their abdomen or on their shoulder or on their arm. You could see the shockwaves ripple across their flesh, and you could see the drips of sweat just, like, bouncing. And I thought it was just really fantastic. And also, like, great close-ups, too, with that same kind of style of photography that looked excellent. I think these were the best-looking fights in the Creed trilogy. I thought they were phenomenal. The Excellent. long take in the opening of Creed is great. The f- of, the, of the first one. Okay, the first one's fight. great too. Yeah. But I mean, best looking fights in terms of specifically not just the choreography, which was terrific, but the background, which for me, Creed 1, the green screen is really noticeable. Yeah. It hasn't aged super well. And obviously they were limited on a budget. This one had a bigger budget. But they actually pulled a Rocky and filled in stands and, and filmed a full arena for some sequences or or filled up parts of an arena and parts of stadiums to get a real crowd in there and a real background. The walkouts for, especially. Yeah, for yeah. a lot of these shots because those old Rocky movies, they stand out so much because they're really in a ring. There's really a crowd around them. Yeah. What Rocky did well in many other boxing movies, I mean, they would just film what they could in the arena before pre-fight where you can actually fill up the crowds and you you can do that in two days and afford that amount of extras. But then for the fights, they're generally just keeping the lights off in the background with lots of smoke kind of makes the audience feel like there could be an audience there, especially with the crowd noise and then cutting to crowd reactions. That's basically how they got around that because they couldn't afford to like these sequences, especially the Rocky ones, which 
the fights are sometimes thirty minutes long. <laughs> you can't afford you can't afford twenty thousand extras for two months of filming. It's impossible. So that's how they got around it by just turning off the lights. And now in the mid two thousands and two thousand tens with the Creed first couple Creed films and some other Southpaw, they were beginning to use green screen and CGI the audience, which. At, in the 2010s, didn't really look that great, but it did look a lot better uh, in this film for sure. Yeah, it looked a lot better, but yeah. also having real people in a Absolutely. lot of these sequences for the backgrounds. Also, the influence of anime on the fight choreography was excellent. And if you grew up watching anime, like even something like Dragon Ball Z, you definitely recognize some shots, some punches, specifically the Goku gut punch, which is actually in multiple things, as well as the double cross counter punch where they punch each other at the same time. That's when Goku and Vegeta fight. Also, that's from uh, Naruto vs. Suzuki and even Neo vs. Agent Smith in Matrix Revolutions. So there's a ton of great references oh, yeah. when they hit each other and yeah. both go flying. So great anime references. And according to Polygon, the earliest cinematic instance of that cross counter where two fighters punch each other at the same time with the exact style punch, same style punch, is possibly Charlie Chaplin's 1931 comedy drama City Lights where Chaplin's character, the Tramp, comically trades blows with a burly, no-nonsense prize fighter before they promptly knock each other out with a simultaneous hook shot to the jaw. I love in Rocky, at the end of Rocky, was it, at the end of Rocky 3, they cut, they they freeze frame it right before the impact. Yeah. And you're like, oh, who's going to hit? Is, I, I, I love that ending, that ending shot. I would love to see yeah. that fight. Obviously, in Creed 1, yes, they, about it. They, yeah. they kind of bring up, and Rocky basically says that Creed beat him. Yeah. I wish they didn't do that because I, I think the mystery would be so much better. But it actually makes sense to, like, yeah, yeah. when you open up Rocky 4 with Apollo's intense confidence, he's, like, on top of the world because he yeah. probably just beat Rocky. Like, I'm the greatest fighter in the world. Rocky knows it. I know it. We're best buds, but I'm still the best now. Well, that's the thing. I never looked at Rocky as the best fighter in the world. I think that he just had the most heart, and that's why he was able to overcome uh, someone like Apollo Creed and someone like, um, what's Mr. T's character name? Uh Booker, B- Booker Clang, Booker, 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 Clubber, Clubber Lang, Clubber Lang, Clubber Lang. <laughs> Booker. I was gonna say Booker T. I don't know why. That's how he's able, and also uh, obviously from Rocky Four, every Rocky movie. That's how he's able to come. You would say the greatest fighter alive is who he fights in every movie. Yeah, you're right. He's not the best fighter yeah. ever. Apollo Creed is a much better fighter yeah. than Rocky Balboa. Clubber Lang is the most dangerous fighter. You know, Dolph Lundgren's character is the most dangerous character. He's the most dangerous boxer alive in that film. So I've never looked at Rocky as being the best fighter, like pound for pound. It's just he had the most will to succeed and the most heart. And that's how he's able to overcome those situations. And then you get a, you get a flourish of that, flourishes of that in this film as well, where you, you have Jonathan Majors Damien, who is an absolute beast. He tears apart Felix, and then he knocks down uh, Adonis, no problem, at the beach with just one hit, one haymaker. And you're like, holy crap, this guy is the real deal. And so I think in a lot of ways we saw that here as well. I didn't really feel it that much in the second film mm-hmm. in terms of Adonis trying to fight like the greatest fighter alive which happened a lot in the Rocky films. But with Damien, I felt like Damien was the most dangerous fighter that existed on the earth. I think he's number two in the Rocky Creed universe of best antagonists to the protagonist of a film. Even though Apollo is a nuanced character, he's a protagonist half the time as well. He's te- to Rocky, he's the antagonist. Yeah, he's the antagonist, yeah. Even though they're both yeah. kind of just like their own you protagonists. Can't, you can't top Apollo. But it's like impossible. technically, like yeah. they're the villains of the Rocky universe. Yeah. And I would say... 
that yeah you can't top Apollo can't top Apollo iconic character yeah. incredible but to have Jonathan Major's performance as Dame I hope I, I want to see him in another Creed movie like yeah. that's how great it was and I want to see his story continue because this character goes through much goes through so much and like you said he takes everything away from Adonis takes his title takes his life basically he's coming back from everything he wants I'm that coming he, back for everything and he's, he's just full of anger and rage because we learn throughout these flashbacks through the story done pretty well yeah like sometimes flashbacks don't work but yeah. I think they, the, the writing was really spot on and obviously they can't use the same kid actor from Creed 1 yeah but they did a good job as I think and so we learn this, the past about after Adonis was adopted uh, legally by Apollo's ex-wife and became came into this wealthy family now in this new life he was still best friends with his old roommate from his previous foster care home and they're tech, they're brothers, you know. They live together in the same room for two years, and they're best friends. And Adonis looks up to Dame, and Dame is a, a boxing prodigy. He's a Gold Gloves winner. He's he's a star rising, but he's also getting into trouble. He's carrying around a gun, and you know Adonis looks up to him so much, and he's like basically carrying his bags, and he he wants to be Dame. Yeah. yeah. And they get into trouble where Adonis beats up the old foster father that he sees outside of that convenience store liquor store. And being a good big brother that Dame is, he goes to protect Adonis from getting beat up by all the other guys. Brings a gun, though. Cops show up. Adonis runs, and Dame gets arrested and gets put down into prison for, what, 15, 20 18 years? 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. And so that's a, a that's something that Dame understood at the time that I'm, I'm protecting my, my brother with this weapon, and I'm, I might get arrested. You know, that yeah. anyone who has a gun, you know, that's a possibility. But he blamed Adonis for not being there for him while he was in jail, abandoning him. His 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 stepmother basically hiding those letters that Dame was sending him, and thinking that Adonis abandoned him. When but maybe if he saw the letters, yes. But still, he nothing was stopping him from yeah. going to see Dame in prison. Yeah, I mean, it was. I don't think the letters are an, are they're kind of an excuse, but Adonis absolutely just shut him out of his life and just acted like he never had him in his life and he did admit to that at the end and I think that was important because the letters definitely played a part but he still made the decision to never reach out to his old friend who he looked up to and was so close with but also it showcases Damien's real rage and his anger because one of the best scenes of the film is when they have that lunch after Dame's just leaning on his what is it Rolls Royce uh, they have lunch after and it's a terrific conversation but What's notable in showcases the the characterization of Damien in that scene is he sa- he tells he tells Adonis when Adonis asks him how long he was in prison, he said I was there for for um, eighteen years, but two of them it got extended two years. He doesn't go into detail, but he clearly got two more years of sentencing sentencing because of horrible behavior. I'm sure in prison, probably getting into fights. Maybe he seriously hurt someone in prison, and so his prison sentence was extended two years. So that's how dangerous this guy is. That's how much anger he has brewed up inside of him. And then Damien, the way Jonathan Majors played him was terrific. He's just, on the surface, he seems like he's kind of together and he's trying to project someone who's cool and collected and and 
not a threat, but inside you can see he's holding back so much emotion and so much anger inside of him. Like, it's brewing inside. And he did a terrific job translating that. So much great physicality to the character yeah. as well. I love the things that he's doing when he's got his uh, boxing pants on, like fixing the, the waistband a lot and just like just all these these arm movements. And he's kind of like this wild animal that just wants to get loose. Not to mention being a former gold glove boxer, now uh, we can assume just fighting in prison for 15 to 18 years has completely changed his style. He's no longer fighting with good form, but he's just a powerhouse. He has his own style he's of boxing brawler. in a way. You yeah. know, the way he counters and blocks, it's not technical boxing. You know, it's not what you're taught. It's so, so unique. Like, he has his arms on top of each other, the, the way he blocks, yeah. and yeah. he fights dangerously. He fights almost dirt. He fights dirty. He, he attacks people's joints, their shoulders, Goes for their and shoulders, their, arms. their yeah. weaknesses on purpose. So he does a lot of illegal things in the ring to win because you know Dames's character even says it to Adonis after he, he asks Adonis for a shot at the title in his basement at their after they have that nice dinner. I love when Dames when Adonis turns him down. He's like, and Dames like. But, you, but your father, Apollo Creed, gave a nobody a shot for the title. Why can't you? Why can't you do it? What about Rocky? Rocky was a nobody. Mm -hmm. He got a shot at the title. Yeah. Why not me? And Dame thinks he deserves it, not only because he protected Adonis from the police, and obviously Adonis was able to run away, and Dame took the heat for the situation, got to jail. But it wasn't Adonis' fault he had a gun, which Dame finally comes to terms with at the end of the film after he loses his fight to Adonis. He comes to terms with Adonis didn't do anything wrong. I made those decisions. Even Bianca tells Adonis multiple times, like, you have no bearing on the decisions he made on his life. He chose to carry a gun. You didn't gun. You didn't tell him to carry a gun. That's on him, not on you. You shouldn't blame yourself. He shouldn't blame you for the situation that he's been in, in his entire life for being in prison for most of it. And I just love this concept, though, just going back to the first film of why can your father do this for somebody, but you can't after everything I've done for you from my perspective. Yeah, it basically showcases, like, he does owe him, and it, it can be a possibility. And then when he's turned down, Damien has this great plan where his old cellmate and him have this plan, and they basically incapacitate Felix for the Felix's opponent what do they break his no, they break, break his hand yeah 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 his so his old cellmate breaks Felix's opponent's hand at that party so then was it pretty boy pretty yeah i think yeah. i think it was pretty boy Ricky Conlon yeah 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 i think yeah you're right you're right you're right and then so then Felix doesn't have someone to fight him because like Felix he's kind of in a similar situation where nobody really wants to fight him no one's a good match to him and they can't get anyone anytime so it was a really terrific plan by Damien to make it the only option that Adonis had would be to hire him for this fight. And so it's an interesting position that Adonis is in because Felix is his fighter. It's his investment. He's put probably years of his life into Felix's development, training, promotion. And so Felix is on his team and yet he's he's putting him up against Damien. So it's just an, a very conflicting situation. And one of the best shots of the film is before, Beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> before the fight, Adonis goes and sees Damien in his locker room, and they have a chat, and it's, it's basically like a goodwill visit, but there is so much tension between them, and they don't really know how... Adonis doesn't really know how to approach it, and so then he is about to leave the locker room, and there's a wall dividing them, and they both just kind of look at that wall, and they're like looking through that wall at each other. It's a terrific shot, and one of my favorite uh, shots of the film, if not my favorite... I really love how they did that. It was really fantastic. Yeah, great cinematography in this movie. And, you know, 
Dame destroys Felix, sends him in the hospital, and then Adonis comes out of retirement, and we have our big fight. Oh, I want to say something. I'm sorry, real quick oh, yeah, before that. When the one of the turning points for the film for Damien is when he beat Felix and he got the belt and he was like celebrating amongst himself and he looks to Adonis and Adonis is just like glaring at him and he's like uh, he's just giving him this look and then Damien reacts he's like you, he didn't say anything but you could see on his face he's like why aren't you celebrating well he you? asked him I, I, we did yeah. it like yeah. he says we did yeah. it bro- he calls him brother and everything yeah. but he, and but then, Adonis shuns him yeah shuns, and then that was like I think the turning point for Damien where he saw that. Donis rejected him in his moment of glory, and it it hurt him so much, and that's what really turned him into the real villain big time. And that led to Adonis coming out of retirement, getting called out on first take with Stephen A. Oh, Smith. Stephen A. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, obviously, we have the great mo- training montage of both characters and the great fights. But before we get to that, I want to talk about how this is so well representative of such an L.A. film, a oh, Los yeah. Angeles movie. You know, Nightcrawler is a great recent movie that's very Los Angeles. The the locations, kind of the style of filmmaking and, and where they filmed it. This movie, very Los Angeles locations again, as well as the music. I think using Dr. Dre's The Watcher as kind of the opening theme of the movie. And J. Cole did a remix on that to, to make like the Apollo... Uh, the Adonis Creed theme with the lyrics of The Watcher and technically The Watcher 2 from Jay-Z as well. But I think it was just so awesome to use Dr. Dre's themes from his music as well as just like the 2000s West Side, the 90s and 2000s West Side rap thematic music elements to the flashbacks and then using contemporary hip-hop and rap in music for the present-day timeline was excellent. And I think if it's like one of the it's one of the best soundtracks of the year. I think it's a great soundtrack. I think they did a really yeah. good job. But it's so cool to see like J Cole do some work on this in Dreamville. The Dreamville Adonis interlude by J Cole is outstanding. Obviously, Ludwig Göransson was very missed on this movie for sure. I was not feeling the comp- the composed music as much as the other Creed films. So, so it was composed yeah. by. Uh, what's his, a, um, a friend of Ludwig who's doing the new uh, season of Mandalorian. Hold on, let me pull up his name real quick. Real quick, composer for you got Creed. It, man. Joe Shirley did Creed Three. It was good, but it just didn't. I mean, Ludwig is Ludwig. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like if you have Hans Zimmer off a movie, like you, yeah, there's you a notice, noticeable difference. Yeah. You know, Ludwig's an Oscar winner and probably will win a couple more in his career for sure. He'll eventually go down as an all timer with the career he's already having. But I think Joe, Joe Shirley did still did a really good job getting the themes and thematic elements from the Rocky franchise and combining it with the Creed franchise themes that have been created. It was still a really good score, but I think Ludwig was missing, but I think they supplemented it so well with Dr. Dre and all those rap, the great rap music from the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and then, When it opened up with the Watcher beat, like the cinematic version of it that they made, I was yeah. like, this is so L.A. Then you see the Jackie Robinson L.A. jersey. I thought it was so cool. It was fantastic. And then the, the girls of the film are great too, Amara and Bianca, Donis' family. And like I said earlier, that's really where the heart is of the film the heartbeat of the film the emotion of the film and i love the family scenes they it's just it's cute it's sweet it's endearing and it shows you know what really is the most important thing to adonis's life and i think both actresses did a a terrific job tessa thompson proves once again why she's just one of the best actors of her generation working today and i just loved everything about all the family moments and dynamics yeah mara creed played by mila davis kent obviously we know bianca has hearing problems since we go back from the first film their daughter we find out was born deaf in the second film and now she's older and we have a real deaf actress playing a deaf character a great representation in hollywood in these movies 
excellent use of ASL in this in this movie. I love the ASL, and I I, I want to see it a little more. Where Creed and Tessa are kind of talking to each other yeah. in the like in the ring, like Tessa. I mean, uh, Bianca's giving him signs to like just like what are you doing? Just end this. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually cool because they can communicate from vast distances mm-hmm. without having to hear each other. I like that. It was great in the opening fight for sure. The opening fight was great because it's him against an old opponent. Old rival, yeah. But the, the respect is there, and after it, we know this is Creed's final fight, and then even having Drago come back, which was really cool because Drago and Creed, they're not enemies. You know, even though they were anta- they were against each other in the second film, Drago's motivation for fighting Creed is really just to get love and attention from his father because he thinks it's what his father wants. His father's so obsessed with redemption, the past, and the— and, uh, building his reputation and fixing his reputation. He has new p- newspaper clippings of Rocky all over his home. So yeah, technically, yeah. <laughs> and Drago is really just a victim to wanting to an overbearing wanting father and, yeah. and love from his father, and he yeah. thinks he's that's why he's he's seeing Creed as his enemy. He is huge, but the respect, guy, but they have so much respect because he comes in to help train him. Yeah, that guy's massive, monster. Oh my god, he just he makes Michael B. Jordan look tiny. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> but they did a good job because a challenge. Is to showcase how big of a, a hurdle and obstacle that Damien is for Creed, who's been the champion and he's the he is the the winner of the franchise. You know, you, you, the lead wins, and so they did a great job establishing when he got back in the ring and started training again. He's had a bunch of concussions. He's out of shape. He's got bad joints, and even though he's younger than Dame. Uh, career of boxing is very hard on your body so they did i think an excellent job of showcasing how it is a challenge for him to fight damien you know that's kind of a reference to rocky balboa because duke's father trains rocky exactly the same thing like go over all of his weaknesses but then they use it to build them strengths out of those weaknesses kind of like a great little reference to rocky balboa and they also go to la in rocky three yeah yeah they go they go to apollo's old gym in uh, downtown la it's great keeping it keeping the family and dame is such an interesting character and and jonathan majors is terrific and i'm still thinking about dame as a character and you know even when he's the champion and you specifically you see this in the locker room before the fight against adonis and even after the, after the fight, you know, Adonis wins the fight, his the champagne party, you know, everyone's in there cheering. It's a full house in before the fight. It's a full house. Dame, all he has is those two trainers. Yeah. And then at the end of the fight, those two trainers just leave. They probably just got paid for that job. They're not really part of his family. Dame, at the end of the day, even though he was the world champion for a short period of time, he has nobody in his life at all. He's alone, completely alone. And I think that was shown really well. He wasn't... He was just sitting in that locker room by himself when Adonis showed up. I, I thought that it was, was tragic. That might have been. Yeah. The, I think that was my favorite scene in the movie when Adonis went to go see Dame after the fight, and they both reconciled and came to terms with the mistakes of their relationship and their friendship in the past. And the tears and are going. Oh, it was man. really great. That's why I hope to see Dame back in the Creed franchise. I would love to see him like making a, a career in boxing. That'd be really cool. Maybe a Dame movie. I would see a Dame movie in a second. Dame Origins. Origins. The rise of Dame. Oh, yeah, Diamond Dame. Dame. Diamond Dame. <laughs> the rise. Rise Dame. <laughs> I thought it was excellent. But the fight. The third fight. So damn good. And what Michael B. Jordan did was so unique. You know, this is a genre that's been beaten to death. No pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> That's good. And we have carbon copies of boxing movies for the last 40 years. Some standout outliers that are terrific in brilliant movies and do something new. 
it's rare to get a, uh, a boxing movie that does something new. I think Southpaw is a really good movie. Didn't really reinvent the wheel or do yeah. anything new with the boxing. But I think the performances and the characters and the story was really excellent. I, I like Southpaw a lot. I am phenomenal. I am phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the Eminem impression. <laughs> um, it's a tragic story, but that's why it resonates so well with me. But with Creed 3, with the boxing... Specifically with the third fight, we already talked about the technical close-ups, super slow-mo. Michael B. got so surrealist and experimental with this fight sequence. I thought it was terrific. I've never really seen anything like it since like Raging Bull just changing what you can do in a boxing ring. And I loved when we have that round where it starts where basically the arena gets emptied out. It's just them two with just blackness and smoke around them because this is all they're focused on. This is just between the two of them. They've blocked all outside noise out. Nothing matters besides this fight, this round right here. And then we get the subliminal metaphors for the past with you know Michael B's character, Adonis, getting punched back. And he's, he's going back against the jail cell wall. But also, before that, when they look at each other in the corners, they see the kid versions yes. of them. That's great. That's, great that's how it well. starts. That's but, that. but then just getting so surrealist and creative with what you can do with a boxing movie. and I, I thought it was really terrific. The I, jail I was, cell wall yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. so exciting, and I was just blown away. Never really seen anything like it before, and it's kind of like the horror genre where we've seen everything done so many times. I, love, I need to see new things in the horror genre. Boxing genre, seen the same thing over and over again, some yeah. outliers, but like when you do something new with what, like that, what I think Michael B did with the anime influence, but also this third fight, specifically these couple rounds right here in this one round, my goodness, I was blown away. Yeah, and I like how they didn't, Michael B didn't try to like stretch it by like having like another like close call ending that we've seen a bunch of times, and it just ended with him knocking him the fuck out. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a counting down to the wire. We've yeah. seen that a thousand times. We did get one of those scenes early in the fight where where Creed almost got knocked out and he barely got up in time for the count. That Goku punch. Yeah, that was the one time we got the count. You need to have a count once. But like, I like how he strayed away from that at the end for the ending fight to be have the fight concluded concluded with Creed just knocking Damien out. I thought that was a great way to finish the fight. There is one very noticeable thing. About Creed 3 that is different than every other Rocky and Creed movie. (laughs) No Rocky Balboa at all. He's mentioned very briefly. Um, I think they just say his name once. But there's no Rocky, no Sylvester Stallone in this movie. It's a complicated issue. There's a lot of, like, questions going on on the internet of why Sylvester Stallone was in it. Lots of interviews have been coming out. And basically... What I've gathered and what we've kind of gathered is Stallone, he created, he created this great character. One of the best sports movies of all time. And probably a mistake he made was never attaining the rights to Rocky, the character, never attaining the rights to the script. So technically, even though he wrote many of the scripts, he didn't own the rights to the scripts. Yeah. He didn't own the rights to the words or the character. The person who owns the rights to Rocky is Erwin Winkler, the producer of the, all the films. And so... Like you described it earlier before we started that, it was like kind of like a, a handshake deal. Like, hey, we're like, like the students together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no need to assign anything, Sylvester. So you could say that, you know, S- Sylvester Stallone not being a part of this movie at all. He got like a producer credit. Well, so the, what he's upset about, and it is his fault. He never signed a deal. And it's, he was trusting Erwin Winkler to give him. So what Stallone wanted 
was to pass on the rights to Rocky to his kids to make it them the producers of the Rocky franchise. That's what he was wanted to do. Like kind of like James Bond. Exactly. Like I'm de- when I'm dead. This is going to be my legacy for my kids to handle for the future. And the Broccoli family yeah, are in exactly. control of James Bond. Exactly. With Amazon now. <laughs> <laughs> but that was what he wanted. He never signed a deal to get the rights to Rocky. Erwin Winkler, when they discussed it, rejected it and kept the, maintained the rights and went, went along to start producing Creed Three without Stallone. That's why Stallone got so upset, and that's why Stallone said he's never going to watch the film. He has a producing credit. He was not involved in any way whatsoever on the film at all. He just has a producing credit because he created the character. And they, it was just basically like a respect thing. Like, you're a producer on the film. He had nothing to do with the film. Yeah. So that's why Stallone's so upset because he wanted to pass the rights to Rocky onto his family. And he didn't even want to come back for the first Creed. Ryan Coogler really convinced him to be a part of that movie and part of that story. I'm glad he did come back for the first two. You know, it's great to see Sylvester He won a Stallone. Golden Globe. Yeah, so he was he's terrific in that first film. He's great in the second film as well. So, you know, it's kind of like it's Hollywood. You yeah. know, it's it's you you trust the wrong people, I guess, but also you make mistakes. But I'm sure, you know, he was getting He's getting paid. You yeah, know, he made a paid. lot of yeah. money off Rocky in the franchise, and he got paid for all of them. So mm-hmm. you, you can't deny the fact that he made a massive fortune off this character. Erwin Winkler is the, probably the greatest film producer of all time. He's, he, he produced some of the greatest films ever, like talking like Godfather and All President's Men. Like, he is the guy. I'm, I'm just sure, I'm guessing he didn't want to get rid of the light, rights. That's my guess. But why, by, but why didn't Sylvester originally sign for the rights? Because he was, he couldn't. He had no power in the situation. He was well, a no, yeah, for the first. He was one. a nobody, no name actor. He, it was a miracle he got to be act. To, he got to act in it. It's a miracle he pulled that deal off. You know what I mean? But he had some leverage once it became once it became a phenomenon. Yes, but he had leverage. But he didn't like Erwin Winkler. He's not going to give up the rights of, of IP that can make him a billion dollars. True, true. So it's like he just. I think Stallone just never got the opportunity to really buy the rights from the person who owns the rights. Yeah. That's, I love that's Sly. Yeah. I love Sly so yeah. much, and I love the Rocky movies. You know, you all know this. Yeah. But I will say, I, when he came out, I think it was like six months ago, saying that they're milking it too much, and I was like... That was pushing Sly, it. Sly, yeah. you made six Rocky movies. <laughs> like You you milked you, it too. You did not make, need to make Rocky Five. You did not need to make Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa is good, but you did you not need, need to make, make it. That. <laughs> you milked the crap out of it. My God. So I mean I, I I disagree with him there like it's yeah. it's the way it's the world. He, he was milking that for decades. Decades. He's milking. <laughs> Do you have a milk a cat fucker? <laughs> Boston accent. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's my De Niro. <laughs> but so I I understand why he's upset. But I think I just guess I'm just guessing like you know what you you've made hundreds of millions of dollars. I guess he just doesn't want to pass the expendables on to his kids. <laughs> did you miss Rocky? Did, do you think that the story would have been enhanced with Rocky? Or do you think it was not really that big of a deal that he wasn't in it? So there's two things I would say that I, I would say that I missed Rocky. And I understand that they didn't want to have him in it. But I, I was expecting to at least see like photos of him or maybe footage of him somewhere like in like a newsreel footage or even for Adonis to have a photo of him in his house somewhere of like them two like celebrating and they didn't even have that so I I, I was I didn't I, I missed him and I didn't miss him as a character being in the film B. Jordan's doing his own thing and he knocked it out of the park but I thought I, I, I was like really there's not even a photo of, of Rocky anywhere 
especially on his big wall of uh, photos. You know what I mean? And then I would say there's one thing that Rocky had, especially in the first few films, where and especially in the in the fourth film, is that he captures the heart of the audience in the film. And by the end of every fight, they're cheering his name. And Rocky has always had that underdog chip on his shoulder that everybody rallies around. And Adonis, I, I never have, I didn't really feel that in the last two. And it didn't really, feel, I just didn't feel like the, the world was rooting for him. And, and, but in this film, I just felt like he's the heavyweight champion and he's a, 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 probably the best fighter alive. It didn't have that like underdog feel to it as much. As the early Rocky films. In the first Creed movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Having that underdog. Yeah, the first Creed one for sure. But that that underdog thing, like and I said earlier, they did do a good job of showcasing how dangerous of, a, of an opponent Damien was. And it, they did do a good job of establishing like, oh, it's a real challenge for Adonis. But I never felt like that super underdog, like how is he going to how is he gonna beat this yeah, guy? Yeah, because Rocky's always the underdog. He's in the underdog against Apollo Creed in the first two movies. He's the underdog against Clubber Lang in the, sec- in the third Booger film. Booger Lang. Booger, <laughs> Booger Lang. <laughs> and then even though, in, even though in Rocky III he's the world champion, he's just decimating opponent after opponent in the first act of the movie. He's yeah. just like cruising Coasting, through, yeah. cruising, cruising through the boxing world, winning fight after fight. Clubber is a monster, and he can't beat Clubber without Apollo's help. And you also learned that Mickey gave him easy fights. Yes. So you never even, even as he, with him as a world champ, you then you're like, oh, he really isn't the best boxer alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because he's he's just keeping it. He's yeah. a star. Yeah. It's, bo- it's boxing. That's accurate it's boxing as well. Yeah. yeah. It's good for business. And also, uh, Rocky Four. obviously he's the underdog to yeah. six foot... Th- 13. <laughs> Six for 13. Mr. Russia himself. And then Rocky Balboa, also an underdog in Rocky Five. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's always he's fighting a, He's fighting a, a working boxer. He's that, always yeah. an underdog. And so, yeah, you're right. In this movie, Adonis didn't really feel like the underdog because even though he's coming out of retirement, he's got his injuries that he's dealing with. I still felt confident that like he was going to come out on top. But in I didn't really feel like, yeah, you're right, that underdog yeah. quality that yeah. we're, we're used to in the universe. And that's not a knock on the film. I think it's just hard to do. It's in, in rock. It only it really only worked with Rocky. Because he's such an underdog. Yeah. <laughs> Dude was just uh, a, like a bouncer, basically, in the streets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, but that, and I'm not knocking the film. I, I loved it. I, I would just say that's what I was missing that was constant in regular in the early Rocky films. Where do you rank this in the Creed trilogy? I would say it's number two. I think it's my favorite. I really like the first one. I love the directing of that film, and I, I think that opening long take that of the first fight, uh, and he's fighting in Mexico, I believe, in the mm-hmm. first film. That is an insane fight. That long take, and I, and because I really felt, I really felt the underdog aspect of Adonis in that. Yeah, because he wasn't a professional fighter in that. He was just doing amateur bouts, and so. Also, this that's a very emotional film with his new mom, all that jazz, and courting uh, yeah. Bianca. Yeah, and then and Sly is great in that. He won a Golden Globe. Like he, remember he's like breaking down the locker room. Yeah, and then Tessa Thompson added so much charm and charisma to that film. I just I and because it's the first time we saw her as Bianca, I think the the first one is my favorite. I think this one's my favorite. Yeah, I thought it was really. I loved it. I did love this one. I thought it was I charming, it. excellent. Inventive. I gave I think. eight out of ten. Great directorial debut. Eight out of ten. That wraps our review on Creed Three. Can't wait to see what we get out of this franchise going forward because it is here to stay. 
It's knocking everyone out of the box office. Ant-Man 3, sorry. See ya, Disney. See you later. Adonis Creed just haymakered the hell out of you. <laughs> he knocked you out of the box office in your third weekend. I bet it I bet it beats I bet it could beat Shazam. It's possible. I wouldn't be surprised because it's it's over a hundred million in its yeah. first week, so that's really terrific. Shazam's tracking very low. I don't know anyone that's really excited about that movie. It's, to be it's honest. tracking for between forty five and thirty between thirty five and forty five. That's a bomb. Yeah, that's his tracking right now. Two hundred and fifty million dollar movie. Yeah. That's a bomb. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that's, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> sorry, sucks to suck. sorry. <laughs> sorry, DC. I guess. I mean, they did it themselves. <laughs> but that wraps our review and episode on Creed Three. Thanks so much for tuning in. What's your rating out of ten? Um, I gave it eight out of ten. I'm giving it an eight point five. Nice, nice. Eight point five out of ten, which is high. It's okay, high. it's high. Seven point five is high. Yeah. Because people are like, it's only an 8. It's like, that's a huge score. It needs to be 10 out of 10. <laughs> so you hated it? It's either a 10 or a 1. 8.5, so you hate it? Got to be a 10 or a 1 these days. No in between. <laughs> 8.5, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Rewatchable as hell, too. Yeah. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. And quick update on our weekly chat episodes, which we usually post every Wednesday. We're going to be moving those to Patreon. So... Unfortunately, we're going to take it off the feed, basically. Subscribe on Patreon. We Our lowest tier is $2 on Patreon, so that's all you'd have to do is $2 a month. You'll get access to our Patreon bonus episodes, our weekly chat every week. We'll go there as well, and more bonus content. So, And we're filling in that gap with more movie-related yeah. content. So yeah. we're, it's not like we're doing less episodes. We are. We feel like we're kind of over blo- overloading our feed with, n- with less movie stuff. We yeah. want just only movie stuff on the podcast. Yeah. So we've kind of, we're making a transition to make weekly chat and more bonus content a separate thing from the normal feed. So, but we are going to be posting still more episodes. We just don't. We just we're doing. We don't want to overwhelm seven episodes a week. Yeah. So yeah. We, and we really just want the podcast to just be just movie stuff. And the weekly mm-hmm. chat's been so fun to do and people love it. We love it. the weekly chat. And yeah. sorry if, if you if you can't afford that every month. It's just, you know, this is yeah. a decision that it's tough to make, but I think it's best for the show. So, if you, and if you're a patron, you already have access. Yeah, so to you it. have access. Yeah. It'll post every week on Patreon. If you're already on the Patreon, yeah. $2 minimum a month to be a member yeah. on Patreon. You'll get access to our weekly bonus episodes as well as the weekly chat and bonus content. Sorry in advance if this is, you know, not to your liking, but I think we think it's for the best for the show. Again, it's just two ninety nine on Spotify or two dollars on Patreon. Mm. All our bonus content, all our weekly chats are going there now. And Wednesdays, the slot will be a, a movie centered or TV centered episode from now on. Yeah, so it's just yeah. all gonna be movies and TV now yeah. on the show. Yeah. We movie news will still stay. Movie news, yeah, well, it's movies, yeah, and TV, movie stuff. Obviously, just the movies. Obviously, we're gonna talk about movies <laughs> because it felt like a, a movie. movie. Like you go to the theater and you watch like. <laughs> A movie with people. <laughs> a proper movie. Like a proper movie. <laughs> all right, take care, See everybody. See you again. I'm going to knock you out with a haymaker. <laughs> you can't even reach me from all the way Oh, away. yeah? <laughs> Just kidding. See you later. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.